today on Ag News Daily. So indigo carbon really is a manifestation of that. It's an opportunity to directly affect profitability and the financial sustainability of many of our farmers while contributing in a positive way to atmospheric greenhouse gases. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how's it going for you on this Tuesday? It is going pretty good, Ashton. Let's see. It's dreary out here in central Iowa, but uh, we're still getting folks going in the fields. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to just kick things off here today with the Crop Progress Report. Oh, I forgot about that. Let's go ahead and get that done. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the key headline here is Folks are getting it done when it comes to Harvest 2020. We saw NASA estimate that 75% of soybeans were harvested as of Sunday, October 18th, up 14 percentage points from the week prior. Um, And when you look at the five-year average, usually we're only about 58% harvested by this time of year. On the corn side of things, corn is also chugging right along here as we saw you know, I guess the big states that are moving right along is definitely Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska, kind of the Corn Belt states. And when you look at Ashen, the corn harvested for this year, we are at 60% harvested, so up just 19 percentage points from the week prior. But usually this time of year, we're about 43% planted. So Definitely getting in there, getting the crop planted. But the question I have that, you know, I'm not entirely sure I know the answer to, and I hope one of our podcast listeners who is much smarter than I will know the answer to this. Uh, with this year in particular, you look at, you know, the derecho and folks harvesting acres or mowing acres or disking under acres. I'm not sure how NAS takes into account those acres that would have been harvested but aren't getting harvested this year because they're being totaled out for crop insurance. Well, Delaney, I have uh, some little self-reporting for for cotton, at least down here in the Lubbock area. Where, from what I have seen, and you know what my uh, my friends have told me that are in the fields, is that things aren't looking too great. It's been dry. You know, weather hasn't been too much in in our favor this year, and so it's for for a lot of folks, it's only about ankle height at this point. Oh wow! Okay, and that it shouldn't be right. Yeah, no, it should it should be a little bit taller, have a few few more cotton bowls than than what I'm seeing in the fields. But hopefully we can, you know, get get a cotton farmer on next week to talk a little bit more about that because we are fixing to start seeing folks really get into the fields and and harvesting that cotton. So I think I'll try and go out into the field myself and, and get a better report for you guys. Well, that will be fantastic, Ashen, and uh, farming is the topic of the week. Just kidding, it always is here on the podcast, but we're talking to a lot of farmers later on this week to talk about how harvest is going for a couple different crops than what we usually cover here on the podcast, so I'm excited for that coming up, but I want to switch tracks just a little bit here to talk trade. We saw a virtual summit between the U.S. and Brazil is going on. And uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that during this virtual summit, they really talked a lot about the risk that both countries pose for putting so much participation and um, pressure on the importance of China being a 
player in both the U.S. and Brazilian markets. And he said, we need to work together, whether that's, you know, a free trade agreement between the U.S. and Brazil or just working together to find new markets. But both countries need to place less reliance on China being a major trading partner. Um, He said, quote, to the extent we can find ways that we can increase the trade between our two countries, we can decrease each of our two nations' dependence for critical items coming from China. And so we will continue to see what happens on the U.S.-Brazilian front. Uh, We are still in somewhat kind of free trade agreement talks with Brazil, but uh, it, it sounds like at least... Right now, they are very favorable to having some sort of agreement with us, and their president, Bolsonaro, is um, has been noted as being called the Trump of the tropics, so has some very similar rhetoric to what President Trump has had here in the United States. And so those two gentlemen do get along pretty well, I believe, when it comes to negotiating and whatnot. So we'll see how this election shakes out, but I would say as long as President Trump stays in office, it's a, probably a good bet, good speculation that we will continue negotiating and working with Brazil on issues like trade. Well, I also have some U.S.-China news myself, Delaney. The two countries are set to debate the World Trade Organization's recent ruling that U.S. tariffs on Chinese goods violated international regulations for trade during a World Trade Organization dispute settlement body meeting on Monday. Last month, the WTO panel ruled that the U.S. could not prove tariffs were necessary on $234 billion worth of Chinese goods in 2018. The U.S. is expected to appeal this decision, and U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer has said the ruling confirms that the World Trade Organization is inadequate to stop China's harmful technology practices. Yeah, I saw that story as well, and I'm not entirely sure what to make of it here. It seems a little bit like a chess move in this ongoing uh, U.S.-Chinese negotiations and and trade battle, if you will. But uh, let's continue to watch that story, too, Ashton. Absolutely. Looking looking forward to, to next Monday when we can hopefully report on that. But I just have one more story for today, and it might set us up for talking uh, technology, our, our Tech Tuesday conversation. But the World Resources Institute is identifying menu items with a lower carbon footprint to highlight climate-friendly dine-out meal options. Based on the ingredient list of each dish, the carbon footprint of each meal at participating restaurants is calculated by looking at the emissions from the ag supply chain and land used to produce the meal. And if the dish has a carbon footprint below the established per meal threshold and meets nutrition standards, it is labeled as a cool food meal. So I thought this was very interesting that they are are doing this. And I'm not sure exactly the full list of participating restaurants, but I do know that Panera Bread is the first company to display the cool food meal badges on their digital menus. But I will be looking at this to see if more companies are or more restaurants restaurants, I should say, are going to be doing this because I know like, you know, earlier this summer, Burger King was trying to be more environmentally friendly. And so I'm going to be keeping an eye out on that for sure. 
Yeah, that's interesting to think that that is going to be maybe a new staple on menus. You know, calorie count, that's pretty normal that we see on menus. But carbon footprint, that's definitely going to be a new one to get used to. It, it sure is. And the question that remains in my head is how do they determine, you know, to, to what length of a, a, a meal what their carbon footprint should be. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. might have to do a yeah. little bit of research on that. Yeah, that's a good question, too. I guess I didn't think about that. But definitely a good question, too, Ashton. But one question we don't have for today is commodity market prices, which were higher on the day. What do you say, Ashton? Should we talk markets? Let's do it. Let's do it indeed. And I believe, I'm double-checking my chart here, but uh, the December front month contract did indeed close to yet again another contract high, ending three and a half cents higher to close at 408 and three quarters. The March up two and a half to close at 413 on the nose. Soybeans also have had some big gains today as the November contract put on 10 and a quarter cent to close at 1064 and a half. The January up nine and three quarters to close at 1063 and three quarters. And wheat, as we talked about yesterday with Jim McCormick, has also put on some big gains. I believe I read, I think it was the Minneapolis contract has put in new six-year highs. But in the Chicago contract, December closed up five and a half cents to close at 6.32 and a half. The March up six to close at 6.32. In the livestock pits, mixed trade today as the December live cattle contract added 30 cents to close at 105.45. The February up 47 and a half to close at 108.60. 65. In the feeder cattle pits, the November contract added 70 cents to close at 130.77 and a half. The January up a dollar 47 to close at 126.70. And in the lean hog pits, the December contract down 217 to close at 69.25. The February down a dollar 57 to close at 69.27 and a half. And rounding on our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. November losing 16 cents on the day to close at 21.49. December shedding 14 to close at 19.34. Without further ado, Ash, and let's kick it over to our Tech Tuesday conversation with Indigo Ag. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday conversation, we are talking to Carrie Hernandez, who is the Global Head of Carbon Operations at Indigo. Carrie, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Ashton. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we started recording, you were talking about all the different, you know, baskets that all of your eggs are in. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about what you do with Indigo and and what you do in your position? Absolutely. So what my team does is we do everything that supports bringing a product to market. So that means determining our outreach strategy and our communication strategy to work with growers. It includes determining our partnership strategy, who we work with, um, ways that we can bring other benefits to growers. It includes working very closely with our customer support team, which is really important. As you know, we're a software business. So having that customer support is really essential for our growers. We work pretty closely with our agronomy team. And our agronomy team is really focused on supporting growers as they're making practice changes. And we haven't gotten into it yet, but practice changes really are the core of how you generate credits. So all of the things that help growers be successful in our program kind of fits under the umbrella of what I help to oversee. 
And we're going to dig into indigo carbon a little bit more here in depth. So, so, so Carrie, for those of our listeners who haven't heard of the program or maybe have heard of it, but aren't super familiar with it, can you just give us a broad level overview of what that product, that program is that you guys have started there at Indigo? Yes, absolutely. In a nutshell, Indigo Carbon is a program that helps farmers get paid for adding beneficial farming practices to their operation. Those farming practices are things like adding cover crops, uh, reducing tillage, uh, increasing crop rotations, things like that. And what's good about those practices is they increase the rate of carbon stored in the soil and they help reduce emissions associated with conventional farming. And farmers like that in general because it helps to improve their own soil health, which improves farm resilience, it improves water infiltration and retention capacity, um, helps to fight pests, things like that. You know, it really helps solve basic problems on a farm and sometimes very complex problems on a farm. Um, And at the same time, while farmers are doing that, we are calculating the carbon impact on behalf of the farmer so that they can get paid on top of that for carbon credits that they generate. So, and then those carbon credits can be sold to organizations of all sorts. It can be consumers, nonprofits, companies, government, all generally looking to reduce their own environmental impact. So the program in summary really helps farmers achieve a more profitable way of farming by reducing input costs and improving stability um, on the revenue side as well, while in addition creating this additional revenue stream from carbon credits. So Carrie, I have been seeing a couple of companies start coming out and and doing things like this, but for Indigo specifically, where did this idea come from and how did that process look going from, you know, the idea board to actually launching this program? It really goes back to our mission at Indigo, which is harnessing nature to help farmers sustainably feed the planet. And what that means is there are really three components to it. The primary pillar of our mission statement is helping to meaningfully improve farmer profitability. The second pillar is improving um, environmental sustainability. And the third pillar is also improving consumer health. So we're really inspired about systems solutions and um, programs that can benefit many stakeholders in the agricultural ecosystem. So Indigo Carbon really is a manifestation of that. It's an opportunity to directly affect profitability and the financial sustainability of many of our farmers while contributing in a positive way to atmospheric greenhouse gases and combating some of those emissions that many companies and individuals around the world are creating, all at the same time, creating what should be a more nutrient-dense food product at the end. You know, if you have more carbon in the soil, you have more microbial life, you have more biology. And those nutrients are then reflected back up into those crops that are grown and sold. So for us, you know, we knew that this was a big opportunity um, to help all of our stakeholders and really achieve our mission. And we've refined as a lot as we've kind of gone through this development process. So we launched Indigo Carbon a year ago and since then have learned quite a bit, um, particularly as we've worked in developing our methodologies, which we just announced 
um, last week, the Climate Action Reserve and VERA are two independent credit issuing authorities who we've worked very closely with to really define the standard for what an agricultural-based carbon credit is. So it's been a yeah, long road. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Carrie, but I wanted to dig a little more into that because, as you mentioned, big announcement last week for you guys was that you have now partnered with some companies to allow them to purchase what you call a verified agricultural carbon credit. Explain what that means and how can a company buy something that is, in this case, not really tangible? Yes, that's a great question. It It's a data product. And that's uh, not something that most farmers are used to producing. So it's a really new space for a lot of our farmers. Um, but what it is, is it is evidence of action. So what our buyers of these carbon credits are buying is they're buying confidence and certainty that an action has been taken. And the result of that action was a reduction in atmospheric greenhouse gases. And that those buyers really value this because they are trying to execute on their own sustainability strategies, their, reduce their own footprint um, and climate impact. And so by buying offsets, what we call carbon offsets or carbon credits, it's a way for them to basically pay someone else to help undo what they have done. So, you know, they're, they're buying evidence that that has been done. And so, that really is core to our program because our job is quantifying the impact of those actions and proving that there was that result. And so our buyers are willing to pay high prices for these high quality carbon credits that come out of our program. Well, Carrie, we are certainly excited here at the Ag News Daily Podcast to see where Indigo Carbon goes, and we will certainly be keeping an eye out since it did just launch last week. But thank you again for coming on the show today and talking about this program with us. Thanks again for having me. We're, we're really excited about what's going on and really excited to have more and more farmers to work with. So thanks again. Thank you again to Carrie Hernandez for coming on and talking to us about the new Indigo Carbon program. Like I said in the interview, I'm seeing more and more companies come out with with things like this. Maybe not, you know, full-scale programs, but it's definitely something very interesting that the industry is trying to adapt to. Absolutely. Yes. Be just like you're saying with the nutrition thing on the menu, I think carbon is going to be a conversation here for the future to come and definitely not something that's just going to fade away. And it's going to be interesting to see how big players like Indigo uh, play their role in this carbon journey, I guess we'll call it for a lack of a better term right now. Absolutely, Delaney. But Folks, you can follow along with the Ag News Daily podcast to see if more companies are doing things like Indigo Carbon at our website at agnewsdaily.com and always follow along with us on social media at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.